This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. It's getting colder out, and that really means one thing. More time inside on the sim rig. It also means it's time for an iRacing holiday tradition. The annual Into the Apex and Mad Sim Racing Christmas Party. On Friday, December 15th, it's time to chill your favorite beverage and order a whole pizza by yourself. For the fourth year running, we all gather in Discord and enjoy our favorite motorsport hobby and send it on improvised hosted fun runs. It's Rob's favorite night of the year for a reason, and everyone's invited. Jump into the good times on our official Discord linked on MadSimRacing.com, put it on your calendar, and hold on to your hat. This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. From Monaco to Indianapolis, Le Mans to Daytona, and everywhere in between. This is your one-stop shop for provocative motorsport talk. From the ITA Podcast Network, this is the Into the Paddock Podcast. Into the Paddock Podcast. Hello, a crosso e podledi ad into the paddock. Fienwiu Jordan Groves ak ituhelid oidef i gumri, mifi friend Greg Meisner. Or if you don't speak Welsh. Wow, you didn't even tell me you were going to do that. that was good. <laughs> or if you don't speak Welsh, which I'm disappointed that Greg doesn't after being there for so long. Hello and welcome to the Into the Paddock podcast. My name is Jordan Groves, <laughs> and returning from his trip to Wales is my friend Greg Meisner. Boradar, Greg. Hi, hi. How's it going? Um, I wish I could respond to you in <laughs> some kind of Welsh phrase, but I, you know what? To be honest, you know how many times I heard people speaking Welsh yeah. there? Uh, it's zero. Not much. No, not much. Yeah, at all. no, 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 no. And and there's not a whole lot of native Welsh speakers in the world nowadays. Well, you right? say that it's made I mean, a big comeback. Like over the last ten years, it's become one of the more pop, the the most rapidly growing native languages again. Because more and more, there's like a, a thing within Wales of trying to advocate for more kids to learn good. it at school uh, to stop it from dying, basically. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah, and yeah. I tried to learn it, and it's not going very well. I had to practice I saying mean, that for a while. <laughs> I mean that 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 came off fine, but I mean, <laughs> you know, John Cena did a Chinese ice cream commercial. How's Jungle Jungle? So How's Jungle Jungle? Being yeah. chilling, <laughs> being chilling, being chilling. Anyway, it's so good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all the signs were in Welsh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, English and Welsh sign. I saw that a lot everywhere, and yep. and I. like for the first day and a half reading that, like painted on the roads and everywhere. I just got, kept hearing a dog bark, like, arf, arf, <laughs> in the back of my head, right? Arf, arf. And so, it, it's not arf at all. It's arf. No, arf, you know, yeah. Which which means slow. Slow, yeah. Which just means slow. Just to remind you, don't drive fast. The roads are skinny. Yeah. You're going to crash. And if you crash, you're going to be crashing into like a 400-year-old stone wall. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it won't be kind to your car. Yeah, a wall that's older than the United States, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're fucking everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, honestly, a beautiful country. Yeah. Right. Like, so I guess we'll just go ahead and get started. Yeah. So on why were you experience. in Wales? Yeah. Um, so uh, if you don't know. Uh, for the past year, I have been doing a lot of stuff with IMSA and and th- because the reason I'm doing that is through an organization called Operation Motorsport. They take uh, disabled veterans and embed them with race teams all across different race series in the United States and Canada, right? And so um, we've got all these people. We're called beneficiaries, beneficiaries of the organization. We go out, we do all these things uh, from from race control all the way down to uh, you know, me, the fucking tire guy, right? Like the entire gambit all across uh, IMSA, SRO, FEL, WRL, uh, Champ Car, that kind, of, that kind of stuff, right? So anyway, once a year, we all actually get together and form our own race team, and we go to a an event called the Race of Remembrance in at Anglesey Circuit in Wales. Uh, it's held during Remembrance Weekend. Um, for us Americans, that's uh, Veterans Day weekend. Uh, if you don't know, Veterans Day is on the 11th because we changed it from Remembrance Day to Veterans Day because we already had a Memorial Day. But Remembrance Day is the 11th day of the 11th month at the 11th hour, marking the end of World War One. right? It used to be called Armistice Day. Yeah. Then it was changed to Remembrance Day. And, you know, so solemn reason for being there. Um... We left on the 4th in the afternoon, got there at like 5 o'clock in the morning on the 5th. It was an overnight flight with shitty food and uncomfortable seats. Uh, We all met at the airport. I think we all got there by like 6.30 or so. By 7 o'clock, we we flew into Dublin, by the way. We didn't fly into uh, the UK. It's I guess it's shorter and cheaper to fly into Dublin. And ride the ferry across to uh, uh, Hollyhead. Uh, yeah, Hollyhead from Dublin to Hollyhead. I say short ferry ride. It was like six hours <laughs> on a big ass ferry. It's a small cruise ship, right? Um, but yeah, we get there, and first funny story of the whole weekend. Um, before we all leave, they're like, okay, we're going to get to Dublin and we're going to hang out. We're all, you're all going to get there at five 30 in the morning. The ferry doesn't leave until two 30, right? They got us the late ferry in case there were some problems getting people there on time for the like 8 AM ferry or whatever. So like, but in the meantime, y'all get to walk around Dublin, taking the sites. And we found a place that's like an Airbnb for your luggage, right? Like you go there. You drop your bags off and they'll hold on to your bags while you go do whatever and then you can come back and get them. Right? So we're thinking like, oh, cool. There's like this place and and mind you, they have never used this before. This is the first time. Right? So they had just as little of an idea what was about to happen as we did. Um, so we're thinking, yeah, cool. It's going to be like a, a building you go into and there's lockers and you lock your bags up and blah, blah, blah. You know, what you think of when you think of like a storage, like a temporary storage for luggage, right? I mean, it's kind of innate. Anyway. Uh, so we hop in two Ubers and we find the address of the place. So we're dropped off at this random crossroads in the middle of downtown Dublin. And if you've never been, they're like one lane streets, all brick road. 
uh, and in densely packed like storefronts in homes and things like that, right? So we're kind of lost, you know. We're looking around and there's nothing to indicate a facility for holding luggage, <laughs> right? So we eventually figure out, oh, it's like a uh, I want to say a gas station, not a gas station, not no gas pumps or anything. It's like a more like a bodega, right? So just like a convenience store in the middle of this old ass building. And we walk in and we're like, hey, we're supposed to take our luggage to this place to leave them. And they're like, yep, that's here. Give me your bags. Right. And we're like, uh, okay, uh, I guess. Right. And so we just start handing the dude our bags and he's just stacking them up in a stack right behind the counter next to the cigarettes. <laughs> right. And then there's we have so many bags with us because there's like 13 of us uh that they have to take some and put them like in the the locked storage like closet mm. in the back right and so we all hand the bags we're just kind of looking at each other like is this are we sure we want to do this we don't really have a choice right it's either do this or you know we had guys that had two suitcases i just had a backpack and one rolling suitcase we had some guys you know that brought like fire suits and helmets and you know we've got like a bunch of shit with us and we're like man all right so we just leave it there and immediately when we walk out this feeling fell upon the group that okay we just paid this guy to steal our shit <laughs> right we're like good thing the only thing in there is close like for me right i like i kind of planned for this Everything that was important to me that I could not replace, phone chargers, I mean, I could replace that, but like, you know, the essential stuff, phone chargers, my uh, tablet, uh, medicine, toothbrush, toothpaste, all that shit, shit I would need to survive with was all in my backpack. The only thing that was in the bag or the suitcase was clothes, right? So I was like, fine, I'm, I'll be okay. I can replace all that shit. Um... But yeah, it was <laughs> the shadiest situation. So we walk around London all day, or not London, Dublin all day. We go to Trinity College, cool fucking place, founded in like 1591. We hop on the ferry, get to Wales, uh, meet everybody. We stayed at this awesome place called uh, Firm Bailey, right? It's Bailey, the Bailey Farm, I mm. guess, translates. Anyway, beautiful views, awesome big ass house. I uh, had... Uh, a bunch of shit to do. We went uh, carding one day, and uh, I went toe to toe with Skip Barber, lead racing instructor, and IMSA pace car driver Mike Stillwagon. He beat the shit out of me on the cart. <laughs> like, not that he won by a lot, but he physically like beat the <laughs> hell out of me in the carts. <laughs> you know, we were. Uh, there's a point in time where he's behind me and I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to defend or whatever. And he just fucking boom, just <laughs> rolls right through. I'm like, okay, this is how we're going to play. Like dude tried to spin me out in a straight, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and we get done and we just, we hop off and we're laughing and, you know, fist bumping and all that stuff. I was like, Mike, you're rough as hell. And he goes, I was just scrubbing speed. 
that's the secret to rental car <laughs> racing. And it just walks away. <laughs> he's not wrong. He's not he's wrong. Not, he's not, but I was not prepared for him to be. I mean, he's a professional race this car driver. This is a safety car driver for fuck's sake. Yeah. And he's beaten the shit out of me in this fucking rental car. Anytime he was behind me, it was, I'll have to show you that I, I, I got GoPro video, mm. right? So I'll have to, I'll have to, uh, to show you the video. We'll try to get it posted up. It's kind of long. Um, but, but yeah, he ended up winning first place in our, our little racing tournament that we had. Um, but, uh, yeah, we went zip lining, did the world's fastest zip line, right? At a place called, uh, almost say velocity, but that was the name of the zip line. Zip world. Mm. Zip World. It's over a quarry in Wales. Uh, you drop in from like 2,200 fucking feet. Zip line's over a mile long. You do over 100 miles an hour. I'm scared of heights. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did that. That was awesome. Overcame a little fear there. And then uh, went to a castle where they crowned the Prince of Wales. Now, which castle? It wasn't Carnarfon, was it? Was it Carnarfon Castle? It sounds familiar. Uh, that's relatively near Anglesey. If if so, I've been there. It's it's is it by the coast ish? Yeah, it's like right in a marina. Yep. No, I, I've been yeah. there. Yeah. 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 I say in a marina. It's next, next to, to yeah a place where somebody might park a boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call it a marina. No. Um. Yeah. So did that. That was really fucking cool. Uh. You know, got to talk to some people over there. They were really excited to see us there, and the, especially the reason we're all walking around in like branded, yeah, you know, jackets and things. So they knew what we were doing, kind of. Um, and then Wednesday started the track, uh, and that went from Wednesday to Sunday. And man, what a fucking time it was! Uh, um, so what? What <laughs> is the so the race itself? Is that it's a, it's an endurance race? Is it twenty four hours? It's 12 hours. 12 hours. It's 12 but there's hours a break in the split. middle, right? There's two breaks. It's broken up into three parts. Okay. Right? Um, and so you do seven hours one day, and then there's a break overnight, right? And, and the, ra the race the first day is most of the night, right? Because you start at like almost four o'clock. And that's like and pitch black at this time of year, yeah. dark by like 5.30. Yeah. Right, and then you go till almost eleven, you know, so like three thirty or four, yeah, almost almost eleven o'clock, and then you come back the next day, and there's, I think, you you go for a couple of hours, and then they break for uh, the remembrance ceremony. There's a reflaying. If you've never been a part of a remembrance ceremony, that's kind of the traditional thing. They read Flanders Fields. Uh, they there's you know songs couple of scriptures uh and then uh and then the wreath laying and then we go right back to racing which is it's kind of weird if you've never been you know to like stop a race it essentially acts as a red flag you do a remembrance ceremony and then you go right back to racing and that's got to be tough on a lot of the drivers who are veterans because mm. there's a lot of them out there right we had we had there was one race team um that was just the raf the Royal Air Force, right? And so they're active duty. A couple of veterans on the team, but for the most part, active duty Royal Air Force guys. Uh, mission Motorsport was there. They put on the event. Uh, they they have kind of the same mission we do here at uh, Operation Motorsport. 
in the in America. And they're actually kind of the uh, inspiration behind what we're doing. Uh, so it was cool to see those guys interacted with them a bit on Discord, you know, for the past year or so. So it was cool to get some uh, some faces to some names. But yeah, it's a it's a rather unusual event, uh, you know, considering what I've been doing in IMSA. You know, uh, it starts off with a an event called the Biathlon of Foolishness, which is a uh how did he put it it's a reverse charity event right where they pick a thing that sucks and it's stupid to do and if you don't do it your team pays a fine right so if you i I think we did both i think we we made a donation and ran the race uh but yeah you run like a mile of the track they were all in ridiculous stupid costumes and then uh you you run off the track down a hill into the Irish Sea, around a guy with a buoy, and then back up the hill and back to the garage. It's 40 degrees outside. It's cold. It sucks. I fell. I scraped my shin on a rock. <clears throat> my, my shin's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> like, and this is uh, like maybe 45 minutes before the race. <laughs> you know? So I uh, get out of the water. My shin's bleeding. Uh, I get about halfway to the pits, and I realize I've also walked through stinging nettle, which is like a grass covered in fiberglass and sets your legs on fire. <laughs> it was terrible. None of this was in the safety briefing. Not the rocks, not the mm. thorns, not the stinging nettle. Just, it's going to suck. And it did. <laughs> and then, uh, And then the race starts, and... I guess to make a long story short, I don't want to ramble for 30 minutes. <laughs> uh, first night was kind of crazy. Uh, actually, between after qualifying, the crew that we were borrowing the cars from, we had a U.S. car and a Canadian car. The Canadian car was not doing very well. It kept blowing radiator hoses and all kinds of shit. Uh, I think. I'm not exactly sure what happened. Ultimately, it resulted in the team that we borrowed the car from, like three guys, um, having to do an engine swap overnight between qualifying and the race in the morning. <clears throat> and they got it done. I think they went to bed at like 3.30, and then we were back at the track at 7. Jeez. You know, yeah. Uh, those guys worked hard. Rogue Motorsport. Uh, they've been on a couple of episodes of Top Gear. They... Uh, I think for one season supplied the Toyotas that were used at the, as the uh, reasonably priced car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we were watching those top gear episodes while we were working on the car. That was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of crazy. We had Alex Quinn driving in the Canadian car, which is, uh, recently won the, uh, IMSA LMP2 championship with Ben Keating. And the uh, Matheson wins LMP2. So it was cool to have him here. Or him there. Uh, pretty pretty sweet guy. Kind of shy. But, you know. I don't think he realized what he was getting thrust into. <laughs> <laughs> when he came. Because he, he knew none of us. At all. Uh, ben Keating was kind enough to. Uh, to supply him to us. For lack of a better phrase. Right. And. Uh, 
almost had no idea what the event was about, what we were doing, and just kind of fit right in, you know, joked around with us a little bit, this and that. It was cool to have him there. We also had, uh, uh, I mentioned Mike Stillwagon earlier driving the U.S. car, and that dude can drive. Obviously, he's <laughs> lead racing instructor for Skip Barber Racing, so uh, kind of kind of apparent he's a he's a wheel guy right but uh american car finished p3 after some trials and tribulations and all that canadian car didn't fare so well their differential got smoked halfway in the middle of the night and they got it they got a new one out of the old car got the old one out of the race car and then swapped them in like a couple of hours jeez yeah and this is just a stock Toyota 86. Mm. It's not like a race car. No, so it's not built meant to, to come off. Yeah. 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 And they got it switched out pretty quickly. That was kind of cool. Uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a good event. Very different from American style racing, especially the pit stops. Mm. Um, excuse me. Yeah. Four minute minimum, minimum on the pit stop if you're doing fuel. The cars come in. And come in at like a 45 degree angle, right? It's the European style or I guess British style pit stop, right? They do it for uh, some of the GT world racing. I think it like was at Alton Park. I remember watching this year. They do the same thing where the car comes in sideways. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. And then you, you, you do your service. Yeah. 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 You have to push it back out. Cannot go in reverse under its own power. Uh, so uh yeah. It was uh it was a wild experience. Excellent. And did you get your baggage back from the sketchy Irish people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, everything was everything was fine. <laughs> I guess I left that story kind of a clip. <laughs> yeah, it was right? like, yeah, 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 so we paid this guy to steal our shit, then we went to Anglesey. Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh yeah, geez. I, I guess that's kind of telling that no, nothing happened, which is crazy. I don't know if we'll do the same thing next year. <laughs> I don't know if we'll do the same it's thing. It's only next because year. you came back before the eBay listing <clears throat> worked. So Right. Like that's oh it. man. It was kind of crazy. And yeah, on the way back also from Hollyhead to Dublin on the ferry, we rolled through a storm named Debbie. Yeah, and that was, she was a bitch like inland, let alone at sea. Yeah, uh, it was like a six and a half hour ferry ride. <laughs> I I tried to sleep most of the way, just like I started out just laying on the floor <laughs> and then we moved to uh, some like booths in the in the restaurant area and just kind of fell asleep. Uh, but after we got off the boat, we went and ate dinner and, and kind of walked around Dublin a little bit and then came back. And then I noticed about two and a half hours after I got off the boat, that's when I started getting seasick. Yeah. Uh, which is, I, I guess, land sick. I don't know. Uh, you were I, moving and then you're not moving. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like standing there in line waiting to pay for something, my, my head is just kind of bobbing. I'm like, man, I do not feel good. This is not. Right, it was like my concussion came back. Yeah, remember we got a concussion a couple months ago. Uh, it's it it kind of felt like that, mm. you know, just getting weird vertigo. Ugh, it was fucking terrible. Well, other than that, good that you enjoyed it, and I'm jealous of you for going to the most beautiful part of uh, the British Isles, even if it was in November, when it's also awful. 
<laughs> you know, I it, the weather wasn't that bad, except for Saturday mm. or not Saturday, Sunday for the last part of the race. Uh, it was a fucking monsoon. Yeah. If you're from the coast, imagine the thunderstorms that happen before the hurricane gets there. That's kind of what was happening, mm. right? Because Debbie was moving in. You know, it, it was, and and the track is like literally on the Irish Sea, right? Like it is right there. And so, you know, you're getting all that coastal weather and the wind blowing off the, uh, off the coast. So it was, uh, yeah, Sunday was a fucking monsoon. Well, from, uh, one race that, um, went well. <laughs> to um <laughs> our main topic of discussion this week i suppose uh the formula one race las vegas baby we've kind of been hi uh, like it's been hyped up as like the best thing that was ever going to happen ever for the last well since it was announced a few years yeah, ago kind of since its inception right meanwhile we've been kind of hyping up here as um the shit show waiting to happen and um we kind of got both I suppose it wasn't as like the on track wasn't as bad as a lot of people thought, um, which, you know, I've been saying for the last couple of months that the track layout isn't actually that bad. And I think it was, it was proven that because the race wasn't too bad, but everything around it yeah. was oh, fucking awful. <laughs> an, an insane shit show. Yeah. Um, what? Like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know. I, I, I know of some people that were there, Apparently they had a good time, but you know, that's kind of, I mean, I'm hearing that secondhand. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd love to talk to him a little bit mm. more about it, but yeah. Yeah. The, the, well, let, let, yeah, let's get into it. Cause the weekend began horribly. There, there's no sugarcoating it less than 10 minutes into first practice. Carlos Sainz's car was heavily damaged after a, a drain cover came loose and was sucked into the floor of his car. Um, heavily damaging it in the process, like massive damage. Apparently, there was a hole in the floor that he could see down into the track from. Um, the rest of the session was abandoned whilst every drain cover on the track was checked, with practice two eventually commencing two and a half hours later at 2 a.m. Having waited in the cold after only seeing nine minutes of action, the crowds were ejected from the circuit and the grandstands and the hospitality areas a few moments before the session began due to logistics issues. Uh, more yeah. on that shambles later. Um, entering qualifying, the thought was that Max Verstappen could be beaten, as he was in Singapore. Uh, this proved to be the case with Charles Leclerc taking pole position in a Ferrari 1-2 with Carlos Sainz. Uh, Verstappen qualified P3, but ended up starting on the front row, as, unbelievably, Carlos would have to take a 10-place grid penalty for a new uh, battery that he had to, had to have fitted after his drain cover incident. <sighs> Terrible. The race started in controversial <laughs> circumstances as well, with Max Verstappen getting a better launch than Charles Leclerc. He wasn't quite ahead of the Ferrari when they reached Turn 1, but he went wide, forcing himself and Leclerc out of the track limits. I don't necessarily think it was deliberate because of the lack of grip, as evidenced by the people behind, but they both went out the track limits. Max gained the lead off the track and ultimately held the lead afterwards. Eventually, he was given a five-second time penalty, a penalty that many felt wasn't as severe as it should have been. Uh, as I said, there was drama also further back with Fernando Alonso spinning in the mid-pack and causing damage to himself and others. 
debris necessi- necessitated a virtual safety car, which um, the involved drivers, as well as Sergio Perez and Carlos Sainz, um, decided to pit to get their mandatory stops out of the way. A full safety car would soon follow a couple laps later after a nasty accident for Lando Norris, who lost control of his McLaren just before the strip. Uh, He would later be transferred to hospital out of precaution, but was released without issue later on. Thank thank God for that. Uh, Once the race resumed, Verstappen began to pull away to a gap of around two seconds, but as the stint continued, he started suffering with more tyre wear than Leclerc. Uh, Charles managed to retake the lead later on with Max pitting straight away. Uh, thanks to his five-second penalty served on the pit stop, he would rejoin about five cars behind Leclerc once Charles rejoined the race multiple laps later. It looked as though it was going Charles's way, but then a safety car after George Russell and Max Verstappen made contact, um, scattering more debris, um, called made, made, made basically the entire field pitted behind Leclerc, leaving Perez restarting right on his gearbox with fresh tyres and Verstappen soon back in third place after working his way through slower cars. The rest of the race was basically Charles trying to fight off both Red Bulls on fresher tyres. Uh, Perez took the lead with 18 to go, but Leclerc was able to impressively hold on to him and then retake the lead three laps later with a brilliant move at the end of the strip. Uh, this brought Verstappen back into play, who quickly got past Perez and then Leclerc on consecutive laps to take the lead, a lead that he would ultimately hold until the end of the race. He'd crossed the line with about two seconds in hand, uh, taking his 18th win of the season, but being asked by Red Bull to drop back and try and give Perez some slipstream to defence against Leclerc. Perez managed to get past Leclerc when he made a mistake outbreaking himself at the end of the strip, but on the last lap, Charles pulled off, probably the move of the race, um, um, an astonishing dive bomb at the end of the strip, um, managing to get it done, not go wide. He ultimately, it was another drag race like Perez had with Alonso in Brazil and Leclerc managed to hold on by 0.2 of a second uh, to take second place. Perez would settle for third, but it would be enough to secure him second place in the championship for this season with one race remaining, making this unbelievably the first time that Red Bull has ever finished 1-2 in the Drivers' Championship. Something that they've wanted to do for a long time. First time ever? Yeah, I, it's mad that really? it's never happened. Yeah. It, hmm. I, I didn't believe it that, either, but it's mad. That gives the that gives the the argument about whether or not Perez should still have his seat different context, <laughs> right? Because like Cause if, if y'all no are one else used to, it, yeah, yeah, like Weber never okay. did it, Ricardo never did it, like yeah, it's mad. Wow. Um, okay, we'll talk about that in a bit as well. Uh, fourth would go the way of Alpine's Esteban Ocon, who defied team orders not to pass his teammate earlier in the race en route to a superb result from 16th on the grid, benefiting from the turn one chaos and the mid-race safety car, but also showing impressive speed throughout. It was well earned. Fifth would go to Lance Stroll, who came from 19th on the grid. Um, just what what is it with him? Every time he has any kind of discussion about whether he shouldn't keep his seat he then kicks his ass into gear for the final few races that year uh carlos Sainz's drain cover nightmare was compounded by a lap one spin ultimately ending what could have been a podium finishing weekend in sixth place lewis hamilton pulled off a number of excellent passes and one slightly dodgy one on oscar piastri on the way to seventh place ahead of george russell in eighth russell had crossed the line fourth but was given a five second penalty for his collision with verstappen something he'd later go on to admit to and he said basically didn't see he was there um, Fernando Alonso <laughs> came back from his lap one spin to take ninth with Oscar Piastri also recovering from his contact with Lewis Hamilton to be running as high as third until needing to pit in the closing stages to run a different tyre compound after running the whole race on two sets of hards he took the final points position in 10th as well as the bonus point for setting the fastest lap this means that 
next week's or this weekend's finale in Abu Dhabi, the main battle, so the second place in the driver's standings is now settled. Nobody can catch Lewis for third either. But the battle for fourth is very interesting. There's it, it, there's um, Sainz and Alonso level on 200 points in fourth and fifth. Norris is five points back in sixth. And Leclerc is 12 points within all of them back in, in, in seventh. So all hmm. of that could change over the course of Abu Dhabi. And you've got the Constructors' Championship fight where there are only four points between Mercedes and Ferrari for second. So there is still a lot to play for in this final round. But well, yeah, excitement that's... aside, let's talk about the shit show. Because, you know, we, I'll make no bones about it. I was kind of hoping for this weekend to be a bit of a shambles because in my mind, it encapsulates everything wrong with Formula One. And, you know, David Croft said at the end of the race, this weekend had a little bit of everything. And honestly, I think he's correct because it, it did have a little bit of everything that we've come to know modern Formula One to be. You know, it, yeah. it had, uh, you know, a massively, uh, you, you know, tracks killing cars because the FIA didn't inspect them properly. F1 ripping off its fans for extortionate ticket prices and no refunds for the farce on Friday. Terrible scheduling, meaning that hardly anyone could watch it. Dull DRS overtakes for most of the time, apart from Charles Leclerc's dive bombs, which were really good. Awful stewarding, giving five-second penalties for issues that should have been much worse. Everything off track was a cringe yeah, fest. Yeah. It, it it was a kind of everything that's known with Formula One, but you know, did did you watch the opening ceremony? I saw the bit. I saw enough. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I saw like ten seconds of the driver introductions, right on a on a social media post, and I was like, all right, let's check it out. <laughs> I watched the first song from Thirty Seconds to Mars. Oh yeah, I've which was them. which was oddly just the drummer and Jared Leto. It wasn't even like the full band. Um, so anyway, watched that, and then fast forwarded, and I kept like searching in the scroll bar for something interesting to happen, but it was just like five for six fucking musical artists, and then shitty driver introductions, and that was it. Okay, yeah. go home. And at that moment, I knew it was going to yeah. be. Yeah, and, the, and then you couple that. Weekend. I think the thing is, like, the fast that happened on Friday with practice, that was awful. Like, the, no question about that. Um, what the FIA did with the fans, with making them wait for all that time for two hours with no communication and then sending them home, horrendous. You never get a first impression twice. And if that's yeah. the first impression a lot of fans had, oh boy. Um, the FIA have said about that, they, they put out multiple statements afterwards, Never, none of the, which saying the words sorry. Um, they just, F1 described it as a full round of practice successfully completed and therefore don't believe they have to refund fans. They did offer them a $200 voucher for the Las Vegas Grand Prix official shop, um, which, if you know how much merchandise costs at Las Vegas, is probably a hat or two. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, that was horrendous. There's a lawsuit. Um, a Las Vegas-based law firm are already filing a lawsuit on behalf of the 35,000 people who had only tickets for that day. 
who subsequently yeah. only saw nine minutes of action. Um, that was horrendous. The, the weekend could not have started in any worse of a fashion. Um, and then you had, you know, Toto Wolf coming out here and like denying any yeah, kind was, of criticism. That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah. He, like, I, he was like, be thankful for the organizers that put this together. Like, no, what? not when it's a shit show. No, Toto. Yeah. Like, there, there's this, this, there always has been an air, an air in Formula One of, we don't want to listen to anything you say that's wrong with the sport. And seeing everyone come out so defensive about this it's it's a similar thing with like over the over the year leading up to this we've been told again and again oh it's going to be amazing it's going to be spectacular and then after the race oh it was thrilling oh it was amazing yeah it was an okay race but it wasn't it wasn't amazing it wasn't anywhere near I wouldn't. that it, we've been subject yeah. to both massive like forced praise and then massive forced defense from from toto and a number of other people and it's just not right I wouldn't classify this as a successful Formula One weekend. By for, for them, any, probably. Any, <laughs> they're fucking reaching. Yeah. For, for me, you it know, was nothing I, special. And, and considering it's been constantly marketed as such, I, I didn't... I, the thing is, I'm okay. Like, the race itself was fine. Like, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It was a Formula One race. It could have been anywhere. We could have had this race mm -hmm. anywhere. Um if we, we know there's a 10 year fucking deal to have this race, which in itself is farcical. If they in future edition editions, just have the race as it is, and then just dial back everything else, dial back the superlatives describing it, dial back the cringe fest. We don't need an opening ceremony. We don't need to introduce these drivers to everyone when they've already raced in the United States twice this year prior in the, like, yeah. you know, we, we, we know them. We don't need all of that. If you don't have it at a normal Grand Prix weekend, why are we doing it here? This isn't... I know they're trying to make F1 Super Bowl. This isn't it. The, yeah. It, but, I mean, it's a common theme when they come to the United States. The, they need to do this. And I don't know why. But, like, you know... I don't... I don't Cota is bad enough. Like, when, it, when yeah. we had driver intros from Michael Buffer there a couple years ago, it was like, everyone was like, this is the worst thing that I've ever watched in my life. And you don't see that at other. You don't see that at Monza. You don't see that at Spa. You don't see that at Silverstone. Uh, even Americans it, don't like it. <laughs> so, is it? Is it? I could, yeah, okay, so when they go to these other tracks in Europe, in Asia, Middle East, they're well known, right? People there are fans. They're in the news. They're in the media. This and that. Is the fact that they're doing these driver introductions in America, F one admitting that they're ticketed fan base is not a normal fan of the sport therefore they need the introductions to show who these people Potentially. are i mean max verstappen you know? said in his criticism of the event because some of the stuff he was saying over the weekend was absolutely fantastic um oh, he yeah. was saying things like you know it's 99 percent show one percent race um, he doesn't feel any passion at this event. It feels it feels too much like a pantomime. And one of the other things he said was that the fans who were going to this race, a lot of them aren't going there for the race. They're going there for the party, for the the social media pictures, for, for to go and have a drink. They don't and to see a music artist. They don't care about the actual racing. And he believes that yeah. Formula One, rather than investing in the pantomime around the race, should be investing in the racing product. 
and making that better and then making people understand what they're doing because not enough people appreciate what he says the drivers are risking to put on a show couldn't agree with him more yeah like that's yeah absolutely if you want spot on if you want to have a party and go drink next to a racetrack um the 12 hours of sebring you can do it for much cheaper is, with a better race <laughs> yeah yeah come come to the 12 hours of sebring and i believe you boy you will not have seen a party <laughs> right like yeah it, yeah it, it's it's kind of crazy and i think we were talking about it in the discord before or not after, not before but after the race before the show um that it you know i think you said something of, about you know a lot of people going for the wrong reasons and they could do this elsewhere and i said yeah but it doesn't look uh as good on instagram mm, yeah right and and that's that was kind of the theme throughout the whole weekend i think you're right a lot of people just wanted to go uh, for the clout get fucked up ne- yeah. yeah get get fucked up next to the racetrack and and because i mean half the seats you couldn't even see the racetrack so <laughs> no and that's the thing i saw so many views i was so intrigued to see what and whether people would would say that their six thousand dollar fucking seats were going to be worth it and the amount of shots that i saw that people were looking down on a straight so all you could see was a car go by like just meow that's it and then it's gone for like two minutes yeah. Um, and, and then their view is obstructed by lighting gantries or something like, yeah. and, or I, some people were saying like, you've got to in, in the VIP hospitality areas, you couldn't quite see because there were so many people there. So it would have been better to have gotten a grandstand seat. Like, yeah, where's the experience? Heard, where's heard, the value? I don't see it. I heard somebody, uh, say somebody told me rather that the cars were so fast in the section that they were in that your head, your head couldn't move fast <laughs> enough to keep it in your line of sight. Yeah. So you weren't even watching, like you couldn't even watch the car go by you because it's it's in and out before you can even realize what happened. Mm. Yeah, it's just I. What the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? Like I I I'm I'm. I'm almost angry. I, I am. I, I, I'm, I've been, in my mind, justified of my opinion that this is everything wrong with Formula One. You know, we, we've got a 24, well, well, 23, 24 race calendar. And that's already too much. We don't need that many races and we shouldn't have that many races. At this point of the season, so many that's, of the teams and drivers are completely burnt out. And then we come to this arguable. track where... It's like the whole thing is, oh, it's good because it's Vegas. I'm sorry, but this looks no different to Singapore. Like for a night race is Except a fucking for the night. Well, the sphere's <laughs> cool, I guess. But like the, it's it's cool for a one-off. But we're coming here for 10 years and it looks no different. A, a night race is a night race. You could have this race anywhere and it wouldn't yeah. make any difference. The only thing that's different is because it's Vegas, we can charge 7 million fucking pounds for a grandstand seat for a practice session that's going to get cancelled because of a drain cover, because the FIA don't know how to homologate their own racetracks. It's just, it's 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 like Formula One. It's all flash and no substance. There's nothing there. You, this race, in terms of excitement, yeah, it was okay. It was one of the better races of the year, but it would still get absolutely blown out of the water by 90% of races in any other championship but because yeah. of drive to survive and everybody thinking that, that oh I'm going here for the social media clout it, it it's deemed to be the pinnacle of motorsport and it just isn't like this whole weekend like, like I said from everything from the track destroying cars the fans paying 
thousands of dollars for a terrible seat, being kicked out, the race only being DRS overtakes mainly. It was everything wrong with Formula One in my mind. But it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll agree with you that the race was was okay. I watched the whole thing. I didn't fall asleep. Yeah, yeah it was okay. You know, there were there were some things that happened in the race that haven't happened in a while, i.e. a fucking fight for the lead. Yeah. You know, I thought that was cool. Uh, but yeah, it was just fucking terrible for people there. And and not just not just terrible for the people that bought tickets, but for the v- residents of Vegas. Mm. They seem to bear the brunt of the discomfort. Yeah. Right? Like, I can't believe they're going to do this for 10 years. They spent how many, how long did they spend building the infrastructure for this race? Months and months and months. Months and months and months. They might as well leave that shit up for 10 years. Yeah, honestly. Right? And because they're, they're not going to be as quick and as unimpactful as the infrastructure that's put up around Monaco. No. No, because right. they're used to Monaco, it. And they do it normally. Yeah, yeah, and they're do, they're fast. Every they're everyone efficient. accepts that because Monaco needs that race because it's such a big part yeah. of the culture. Vegas doesn't need the Grand Prix. No, 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 no. And in, nobody wants it there. Monaco want the race. Nobody in Vegas. Yeah. Like, I I believe we mentioned it on the last show where the, uh, one of the journalists, Elizabeth Blackstock, who goes to all the Formula One races, interviewed a number of people in Vegas, uh, residents, business owners, tourists, about the Grand Prix. And one of them even said that they wish the mob still ran the city so that the race wouldn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much they didn't want the Grand Prix there. And, and you know, yeah. TikTok has been ablaze with videos after the last couple of months of Las Vegas residents documenting the building process. And the FIA have gone you know, to, to the extent of putting the barriers up on the on the on the areas that you don't have to pay to be to stop people watching and therefore obstructing tourist views of the sphere and stuff like that, to locking businesses behind the track closures so that they were losing money or it was harder to get to, to um what was the other thing? The the trees. Um the, uh, uh, Yeah, they cut down a bunch yeah, of trees. Yeah, originally they were gonna say that they were gonna remove the trees and then replant them. And instead, they cut them down. Like they, they didn't uproot that. They completely cut them down. They're not coming back. Yeah. A, a lot of Vegas residents have said that the actual way Vegas looks on the strip, once everything from the Grand Prix is torn down, you it will be massively different to what it was like before because of the amount of changes they've had to make to accommodate Formula One. That's atrocious. And then you've got the fact that you know practice was meant to practice too after the drain cover thing was delayed. The roads were meant to be reopened by four a.m. And instead, they weren't open till 6 a.m., meaning that businesses were struggling to get to work on time for the morning because the roads were closed for too long. Like, it's pissed off everyone. I can't see it going on for 10 years. I don't know how they're going to be able to. I hope it doesn't happen next. I I hope it doesn't happen next year. I would be, if it was a one-off, I'd be like, yeah, it was cool. But it's knowing that we're coming back and the specialty of it's just going to go. Like the little bit of cool. Oh, that's pretty cool. Seeing them go down the strip. They're, I'm not going to care about that next year. They are going to struggle to sell tickets. And they struggled this year. The next event. They. That's what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> right. Like it's been. It's been hell getting them out this year. They're going to struggle so bad to sell tickets next year that it's going to. I mean, it's. It's. I, I don't see it. Ha- it's not sustainable. No, absolutely not. In any. In any form or fashion. In any form or fashion. It's left such a bad taste. 
in everyone's mouth that's been involved, not just the not just the residents like we were just talking about, but those that went are not going to want to go next no, year unless unless you were there paying for a ticket in the paddock club and you weren't there for the race to begin with. Yeah. It, those people will come back because their their experience wasn't changed. It wasn't affected by anything that we're talking yeah, they, about. Yeah, whatever happened to them didn't matter. Like they were using it as a yeah. business meeting or to to meet with certain influential people and and pad out your address book rather than going there for what should matter, which is the fucking race. The fact that we've spoken barely about race analysis for this and have spoken about all the things that were wrong with the event itself, which yeah. again, the race itself wasn't too bad. Like it was on a par with a lot of other races on, on the calendar, i.e. pretty shit, but for Formula One, it was good. So like the fact yeah. that we've spent all this time talking about everything but the racing says a lot. Like the the majority of why Vegas why we're there there in Vegas is nothing to do with the on track experience, and and like and yeah as we saw like in the weeks leading up to hotel prices flew down because they were they weren't selling enough ticket prices flew down as well, and and this was the first race usually the biggest attendance is for the first because it's new, if they can't yeah. sell out this I don't believe they sold out either we never got an announcement that it was sold out, so. If they can't sell out the first, who the fuck is going to care next year? Who the fuck is going to care in 10 years? If they're even able to go there, if the residents don't rise up and revolt and put in lawsuits that cause the event to be cancelled. I don't, I don't get it. I don't yeah. get it. Oh, it's so frustrating. Shall we talk about something from the race? <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about this race specifically literally all year <laughs> right i i think from i might have to go back and listen to episode one i'm sure we mentioned we it may there. we may have mentioned it then right uh but we've been talking about this race for so long and i i kind of feel like nostradamus <laughs> this episode and what we're talking about how we're talking about the race feels exactly like i thought we were gonna it was yeah, gonna happen yeah it's, it's exactly yeah no this is exactly what i pictured yeah, Today we, we, we said like. for we said I, I know I said the track layout is not bad. It might not put on a bad race. It didn't put on a bad race. I also said everything around it's going to be a super awful cringe fest. That's what it was. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, we it, yep. it, it doesn't take a genius to predict that. You know, as soon as I saw on Thursday all the drivers being welcomed by multiple Elvis personators and the fucking Blue Man Group, I was like, yeah, I'm on for a good bet here. Like. Fucking yeah. oh my god! And poor Laura Winter. Yeah, fucking, <laughs> did you see that? <laughs> horrified at the Blue Man Group, and I don't blame her. They yeah. are creepy yeah. motherfuckers. My god. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but in terms of like the the one thing I want to talk about from the actual race because there was one, believe it or not, I know a lot of people who paid six thousand dollars to be there probably didn't realize the issue has come up once again of driving standards and penalties after Verstappen's turn one incident with Leclerc and the five second penalty in any other normal weekend uh, Max Verstappen would have gained the lead at turn one by pushing Charles off the track would have gotten a five second penalty and by the time he was given a five second penalty he probably would have had about a 10 second lead so we've seen multiple times this year and drivers have even admitted that they have 
t- done something which they know would have resulted in a five second penalty because the benefit to doing it outweighed the five seconds that they were going to get for a penalty. Does this need changing? Um, Do we need harsher penalties? Maybe. Maybe. And yeah, because you can't just punish Max more harshly because of his car's performance. Hmm. No, yeah, it, it right. needs to be. It's got to be across everyone, the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know because five seconds is a lot. To be fair, just Max and the team over at Red Bull have been a lot more. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like they're just they're just too fast for that. So I I don't think changing the penalty um will be fair. Right, because if you go, say you go to 10 seconds or even beyond and it happens to somebody else, they're not going to be in a position for it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, but we, like we've even it's, seen it's with not, teams further down. Impactful. We've even seen with teams further down the grid that they've done it because of how much of a performance delta there is in Formula 1 sometimes. Yeah. They can then pull I, away. I guess you're right. What I would have liked to have seen is, firstly, a quicker decision because it should not have taken like 10 or 15 minutes yeah, to decide it, that it, it was clear as fucking day you watch an onboard and it's like yeah max overtook him by pushing him off and they both went off um i would have liked to have just told them told max you gotta let leclerc back through and the way that would work as a catch through for me is that it would it would be self it, it like if you did a worse thing that necessitated in that penalty like if you egregiously put someone in like off the track and spun them it yeah. would be a worse penalty for you because in my mind so say Say Max went up the inside of Leclerc, pushed him off like he did, and they told him to reverse the positions. Fine, because he's in second place. You know, he didn't lose that much time. You're just retaking, you're just yep. having it back. If Leclerc had been pushed off so badly that he had dropped multiple positions and Max was told you have to let Charles through, he then has to drop behind all the other cars as well. So the penalty's worse because the action was worse. Uh, I feel like that would be a good tough. way I, of I, dealing I, with it. It, it could it could be in certain circumstances be. that's the thing in, but but see that that in certain circumstances leaves it up to interpretation by the the stewards and that's not that's what we're trying to get yeah. away from right and so i think uh instead of having that specific like if say he spun Charles out and uh you know he lost two or three positions having to let Charles through it's not i don't think that's the way to go about it i do think we're onto something and maybe give him a place penalty. Yeah. Right. Rather than Not a finishing place. place penalty, but, but yeah, yeah. Like say, okay, you got to let one car through. You got to let two cars through. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So maybe not okay. specifically that car. Cause what if, what if the car broke and now he's, well, you got to park, you know, what if, what, <laughs> yeah. What if the, what if the Ferrari breaks and now he's slow because of a flat, well, in my mind, that and would be he, good because he's he's significantly impacted the other driver's race. So now he has to significantly yeah. impact his race. Yeah, but again, and like I, it's it, this is only something that happens in Formula One. This kind of debate in every other series, this never would have happened in the first place because they know the rules of engagement, and it's not it's black and white in other series. Like you know yeah. what you can and can't do in other series, whereas in Formula One, like with the George Russell and, and Max Verstappen contact later on, I I thought by fi by f1's definition of the rules 
over the last couple of years that the car ahead is allowed to do basically whatever the fuck they like. It doesn't matter what the car behind is doing. It's not his corner. So I thought that Max was in the wrong because he dove in on George and wasn't alongside. But George got the penalty because he turned across him, which is the right, the, what the penalty should be in every other series because he was some, somewhat yeah. alongside. Oh, you just hit your mute button. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it seemed like uh, Max was in the cone of danger, as they say, when he made that move. I, I don't think I don't think it was George's corner, though. So yeah, I'm kind of on the fence about that one because it was. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it kind of looked like George turned into, into him, but I also think Max put himself in the position to be turned into. Does it make sense? Uh, so, I... Uh, yeah, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, I don't think... I don't know. I don't, I don't think George turned in... I mean, let me walk it back. <laughs> I think George turned into him, but I also don't think it was Max's corner. Yeah. Max put himself in the position to be turned into, but George maybe turned in a little too early. It's it's hard to tell with a Formula One car. How much visibility do they oh, actually yeah. fucking yeah, have? Yeah, like George said afterwards, he just didn't you know, see him. Like That's the massive blind spot, and yeah. we know that drivers can't see. So, like, it's the yeah. fault of the, the car And design. the mirrors are tiny. <laughs> and, yeah, the, but in any other yeah. series, like, we would tiny. know for sure who was to blame in that incident. But because of this ambiguity that we've been given over the last few years about Formula One changing the definitions of what you can and can't do while in, in a battle, who knows anymore? It comes down to being vague, and that's yeah. something that Formula One really needs to iron out. They need to lay down the law of what is and isn't allowed so that there's no ambiguity anymore. It's confusing and it's needlessly complicated. I, yeah, it, it's all so messy. I, I can't stand it. Uh, but hey, that's just the state yeah. of fucking Formula and, 1 and nowadays. we're going to be doing an it's episode not, uh, in a couple of weeks' time where literally we sit down and talk about how to fix Formula 1. It's going to be the whole episode because God knows we fucking need it. But yeah, yeah as you say, it's just the state of Formula 1 at the moment. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that episode. Yeah, it's going to be a while. <laughs> and I've been, I've, been, I've, been talking, I've been talking to mm. people about it. A, people are excited to hear it, right? Uh, and B... Everyone has their own yeah. opinions, <laughs> right? And I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's really fair. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll pull a guest in for that yeah, one. Potentially, maybe we won't. I don't know. We'll see. It's, I, it's, I, yeah. I should not have said that. <laughs> yeah, should not have said that on the show. But yeah. <laughs> I don't that, want to hold that'll be coming anything. up. So because next but, week uh, we have Abu Dhabi, and then I think the week after we'll probably aim to do that or something. One one of our episodes before Christmas because. It's something like basically ninety yeah. percent of us doing this show has been us complaining about Formula One. So rather than just complain into the wind, we need we should put forward our ideas of how you could fix it rather than just complain. Yeah. Um, don't identify problems if you don't have yeah. fucking solutions. Exactly. Um, quickly before before we go into our break um, and talk about something other than Formula One, we need to talk about Carlos Sainz and that penalty that he had because of the track coming up. Um. The stewards admitted when they gave him the penalty, because it's a standard thing when you when you go over your allowance of components, be it engine, battery, control electronics, anything, any part of the engine, you have a certain allocation for the year. If you go outside of that, you get a penalty. 
Carlos was forced to go outside of the allocation on his battery because of the damage he sustained running over the drain cover. The stewards said when they gave him the penalty that if there was a system in place whereby they could waive that due to it being something that was out of their control, they would have done. But there wasn't a facility for that, so they had to give him the penalty. Wait, like an... So the stewards said, if we could, we would not give you this penalty because it wasn't your fault, but we can't, so we have to. (laughs) Why is there not a system in place? Well, there kind of is, because there's force majeure, which is actions that were unpredictable, um, unpreventable, and um, unrelated to what you were doing in the first place. So say an act of God happened and your car was struck by lightning and disintegrated force majeure would come in and you would be able to replace whatever you lost because it wasn't related it wasn't a competition related problem however in this instance the fia had a had a potential to not do the penalty but when they're when they're making a steward's decision be it on corner cutting be it on anything they have to consider whether their decision will hold up if it's appealed and taken to the international court of appeal because f1 knew that if they didn't give carlos the penalty another team probably mercedes because they're in a constructors fight with with ferrari were going to protest and say, well, he shouldn't be allowed to not have a penalty. Therefore, they had to give him a penalty because they wouldn't be able to defend it. Formula One! (laughs) Yay! So, I mean, what's the difference between... I I, I guess the only difference is it happens on track, but what's the difference between driving on the track and a manhole cover coming up and destroying your car versus a truck hauling your car being on track taking it to its destination and getting hit by another truck or the truck catching on fire and burning yeah, it to- down I totally on agree. track. Yeah. It, it, there's no difference. What's the diff? Like, yeah. Okay. But what would you be allowed to replace the car and everything without taking a penalty? If it was in the truck when the shit happened, maybe I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they'd rule on it, but it, it's been interesting to see the reactions from this because all the fans are saying, it's bullshit. He should not have to have a penalty because the FIA didn't homologate yeah. the track properly. Meanwhile, you've got the team saying, well, Ferrari is saying it's fucking bullshit. Mercedes, because they're in a constructor's fight with Mercedes, uh, with Ferrari, are saying, he, well, he got a penalty. He needs a penalty because he broke it. doesn't matter how. And then interestingly, you had Max Verstappen and multiple other drivers saying, they the rules should be changed for this situation and the team should not be consulted because they're always going to have a vested interest verstappen said that yeah like it could be any fucking one of you at any time it doesn't even have to be a street exactly the 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 only positive from this that might that will hopefully happen is that there is a precedent been set where when a car is damaged due to the circuit problems mostly manhole or drain covers the track promoter slash the circuit officials usually pay compensation to the teams for damages uh you think back to roman grosjean i believe in like 2019 he ran over a drainage uh, cover at sepang uh international circuit and the circuit paid for the compensation for the damages uh george russell ran over a manhole cover in azerbaijan the circuit paid damages the interesting thing here will be is that for the first time ever, the circuit and promoter 
is Formula One. They took over the whole running of it for this one event. So I will be very interested to see whether Formula One are are big enough to say, we fucked up, here's the compensation. Yeah, they 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 have. To. I feel they have to. They have to. Yeah, because it, it it goes it goes the other way. I was recently talking with somebody about this. Say you are uh, in an IMSA race at Watkins Glen, right? Watkins Glen is surrounded by Armco barriers. Uh, you crash the car. You go into the Armco barrier during an IMSA event. Who has liability to pay for the damages? Who do you think it is? I'll tell you. It's not the track. It's yeah. the fucking team. It's the driver. It's just like yeah. a track day. The, the series, the track, none of them assume any kind of inherent risk to damages of the facilities during a race weekend. Just because it's a race weekend doesn't give you a free pass to crash in the barriers. You crash in the barrier, you, the driver, the team, has to pay for it. If the, if the track crashes into your car, it should go yeah, the other totally way. Agree. It should go the other way. So yeah, no, I think they I have think to they have to, and because of the precedent set by other tracks, I believe that if Formula One didn't pay out, Ferrari would have an amazing case in court. Like they would, they would almost certainly win due to precedent. So yes, we we'll see yeah. about that. Um, I think that about does it for our chat about Vegas. Um, is that our longest? It F1 might be, which is horrible. Um, because fuck Vegas. Uh, listeners, if you have any opinions on what happened in Vegas, um, it didn't stay in Vegas. It, but if you have any opinions on what happened in <laughs> Vegas, please sort of let us know either in the um, uh, Mad Sim Racing Discord or on our Twitter accounts at Into the Paddock or any of our social medias at Into the Paddock with the number two. Let us know what you think. It, it's extremely divisive. There are a lot of people that say it was a great race but terrible on the outside. That's what we think. But what do you think? Um, we're going to take a break. Hold on, before, I think this is only fitting, before oh, we God. take the break, uh, that I, I hold you here, because it's exactly what happened today. After the race is over, everyone wants to go home and try and leave today, Monday, from the airport, and they halted traffic for several hours this afternoon to allow 50-plus private jets from everyone in F1 trying to leave the airport. The drama continues. God's sake. I I felt it was only inappropriate to interrupt you as we were trying to leave. <laughs> so even once to the event this. is done, they're still pissing people it's off. It's still it's still fucking ruining shit all over the place. So now we can go after I held Fuck us here sake. for a couple extra seconds. Well, now I'm more angry. Jo- join us after the break, where we're going to talk about another straight race that happened literally at the same time as Vegas. Um, but actually has some history and is normally a good race. Uh, And we'll also talk through some more of the week's motorsport news. So join us shortly after this. With half the show gone, there's still half the show still to go. This is the Into the Paddock podcast. This is the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. 
go into the weekend with the end of the apex podcast reliably producing sim racing and i racing banter for over three years tyler bradley patrick and rob come together each week to hang out and everyone's invited Coming out of the Motorsport Weekend, there's the end of the Paddock Podcast, where Jordan, Greg, and John will dig deep into all the real motorsport happenings from pretty much every series out there. There are no cold takes on ITP. It's all on the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. We're here for you every week, and we're bringing the provocative motorsport talk. Into the Apex is excited to introduce a monthly subscription. For 99 cents a month, get regular, exclusive audio and video content on the Into the Apex podcast feed, presented by Spotify. Into the Apex After Dark? Only fans Into the Apex? Infowars Into the Apex? We're not too sure what it's called just yet, but we do know that it's edgy, it's provocative, it's everything we do here at the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. To subscribe, go to IntoTheApex.com and hit the subscription button down below. This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. And welcome back to the second part of tonight's Into the Paddock podcast episode. Before we get back underway, just a reminder to make sure that you're following us at all our various social media media handles. Uh, we are at Into the Paddock on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. Uh, you can also follow us individually, as we will tell you at the end of the show. Uh, if you are a fan of um, what we do, then be sure to check out our affiliated podcasts on the Into the Apex podcast network. Um you can head over to intotheapex.com to find out where to watch um, our affiliated podcast. You can also, if you're a fan, um, subscribe through Anchor and Spotify to uh, premium content for just 99 cents a month. Um, so, yeah, if you're a fan of us and if you're a fan of everything at Into the Apex, head over to intotheapex.com to find out more. Um, speaking of finding out more, I wanted to talk about another street race that took place over the weekend, one that was mercifully for our runtime, a lot less controversial uh, than the one in Vegas. However, it happened to be taking place at literally exactly the same time, despite being on the other side of the world. The Macau Grand Prix, probably one of the most prestigious races in the world, certainly one of the longest running consecutively, having been running since, uh, I think it's 1954, the first race was run. Um, held in Macau, obviously, on the streets of Macau on the gear circuit. Um, it's traditionally, uh, so it was run multiple times throughout its inception to limited success. And then I believe in the 80s, it was configured into a race for Formula 3 cars. And it's now considered the crown jewel of Formula 3 and therefore a race that every aspiring single-seater driver wants to win. It's a really big one for their CV. Um, it's characterized by a track that's very high speed and yet in incomprehensibly tight and narrow at points um greg you said you've seen parts of this race before and i'm assuming yeah. they were crash compilations yeah <laughs> um, i mean actually now that you mention it <laughs> yes <laughs> what, what what do uh, you think of of macau because it's one that's not really well known but i think it should be more well known um, I will sort of agree with you. Mm. This year right? perhaps wasn't the best example. I mean, to 
Fair, fair, because <laughs> I've, I've watched both the F3 and the GT race, and they were um, just okay. Yeah, yeah. They were just okay. But I think that uh, it's part of my argument for whether or not we should still be doing this <laughs> after 70 years and all of the uh, the uh, advancements in car technology and more uh, noticeably car size. Uh, why are we still running this race? Because, I mean, I think it would be hard to pass on a fucking bicycle. <laughs> right? Like, it's so small in certain areas, right? You do have, like, some of the straights and, like, more of the highway sections of the, the street circuit where there, there's plenty of passing room. But, I, I, I yeah, it, it seems just, it seems, it seems to be a circuit that's out of place in today's tracks kind of like monaco in many ways in the sense that they've yeah. said multiple times about monaco if you propose that for formula one nowadays you'd get laughed out of the room because it ba- it breaks so many fia rules but it's yeah. there because it's old and it's i historic. think i think macau probably falls into a similar category i mean in terms of track layout if it weren't for the flat out unbroken like mile and a bit long run out of the final corner all the way down to lisboa which is turn three um there wouldn't be a, there wouldn't be much overtaking at all it's just because yeah. of that long straight and and basically the entire middle sector is trying to stay close enough that you can then pass on the straight which is a unique challenge and it does yeah. it does you do sometimes see overtakes elsewhere but it is very difficult and that's in cars that are very small like formula three cars are a lot smaller compared to a lot of other race cars um yeah so i i do wonder whether it's you know mainly the prestige of it that has kept it going and there are some races that that do that like i can think of another one poe for example is another it's a a french street track that's again a formula three crown jewel event and it's impossible to overtake there but it still is because it's it's there and it's been there for a while um so yeah do do you think that these kind of races should still exist are, are they like the equivalent of um, you know, every other race is meant to be a really good, really good on on big over track, big tracks that you can overtake really well on. Is it okay to have these odd events where it's not as I would don't want to say I'm, exciting, but a different challenge? I'm conflicted, right? Because I want to say no, but at the same time, I love watching Monaco. Yeah, qualifying I, for I, me I, in particular, like qualifying is amazing, but also that whole the whole week. Of, of Monaco leading up to the Grand Prix is kind of, it's fun to watch. You got all the historic stuff going on, yeah. uh, you know, in, in Formula E and all, I mean, it's just, there's, there's a lot to be seen and, and kind of the same way with this one, right? Like it's like a two week event, right? Yeah. Right? So, so the motorcycles, week, the week before they were running Formula fours and a bunch of, uh, Asian club series events. So you had a, a race for GR 86s and BRZ, uh, BRZs. You had um, various motorbike races. You had um, a superbike race this weekend. You had the World Touring Car uh, finale. You had the GT FIA GT Challenge race, and then it culminated in the Grand Prix, the main event. So it is a big run-up to this event. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm on the fence because it doesn't create good racing and that's why we watch. We want the entertainment and all that, but I guess there is a certain form of entertainment to be had watching older cars 
watching all the different things that happen, but it, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm on the fence. I, I want to say no, get rid of it. Go to, uh, uh, what is it? Is it Shanghai? What where's the, the previous formula one, uh, in China, track? Shanghai international circuit. Yeah. Shanghai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I hate that track. It's a dumb track. <laughs> it's a skill issue for me. I don't like it cause I'm bad at it. Uh, but, <laughs> but I think it would be better than Macau. Yeah, maybe I, I agree with you very much in the sense of I feel like this, like I feel about Monaco nine times out of 10, I be cry formula one for going to tracks and, and not being able to overtake. And then at the same time, I absolutely adore Monaco because yeah. of the history, because of the degree of difficulty, you know, it's not so much, you don't race against your competitors at Monaco, you race against the track and yourself and your consistency. So it's a di- it's it's like um in horse racing I guess it's like uh, comparing a a flat race to a steeplechase you know it's a different it, it's similar thing but a different skill set. Um so for me these races whilst there should never be so many of them because everyone if you had it every week it would be dull. Having the odd race that that kind of illustrates how far the sport has evolved whereby you're still racing on this old track and yet it, it, you know, it, it highlights the difference between what the sport used to be and what it is now. Yeah. That's Th- there's a lot of, a lot of that in it for me. And I think it's the same with Macau, you know, it, it's, it, it, like I said, it's a different kind of challenge. It's not uh, a five wide, um, constant overtake after overtake track. It's a uh, don't fuck up. And if you're at the end yeah. and within shot, you might have a chance to slipstreaming your way to a win. S- stay close. Don't die. Yeah. Um, yeah, this weekend's um, event. So obviously the two major events over the last few years have been obviously the Macau Grand Prix on the Sunday, but also the GT, uh, the FIA GT race. Um, the GT World Cup took place the day before and basically the highlights of it this whole weekend was because it was Raffaele Marcello's last race for Mercedes. Um, and it actually looked like for much of the weekend that he wasn't going to be a factor until literally the last possible moment in qualifying. As he ended up, li- literally from nowhere, he'd been he'd been like outside of the like, he'd be lower re- regions of the top ten for the whole sh- uh, session, and then right at the end gets pole position because Rafael Marcello. Um, he then went on to take victory in the qualifying race because they they do a weird thing where they do qualifying session, then qualifying race, and then that sets the grid for Sunday's feature. Yep. Um, so yeah, Raffaele Marcello went on to win the qualifying race from pole position and then in um, somewhat bizarre circumstances benefited from a restart, a restart in the middle of the feature race that saw second place Mauro Engel's car suffer issues um, and hold up everyone behind him, giving Raffaele about a three second lead by the time they were allowed to overtake uh, Engel. Uh, that meant that Raffaele was able to come home to win with an advantage of 2.5 seconds. He was basically just managing the gap for the rest of the race, uh, meaning that he won in his last outing from Mercedes, which was very nice to see. Um, cool for him. Uh, Eduardo Mortara and Augusto Farf has completed that podium. And then shortly after that was the Grand Prix itself, um, the Formula 3 race on the Sunday. Britain's Luke Browning dominated the whole weekend basically fastest in qualifying on the friday winner of the qualifying race on the saturday earning in pole position for the grand prix on sunday and then sunday's race for him was ba- mainly about managing the start and subsequent restarts there were multiple safety cars including one for a fiery crash for the estonian driver paul aron where his car split in two um thankfully he was okay 
um, on the final restart. I didn't even see that. Yeah, it was it was big. Oh, that that, that was the fire, right? Yeah, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. his, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the rear tires. Yeah. It wasn't exactly. I, I saw that into. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. Um, yeah, on the final restart, Browning had to hold off basically what was almost a free free wide situation into Lisboa uh, to keep the lead. He managed to do so within the middle of them, which was quite impressive. Um, and then there was another safety car toward the end with three laps remaining. The race ended under safety car and Browning took victory on his debut weekend at Macau. Um, really, really impressive drive throughout. He looked completely under control throughout. Dennis Hauger took second place after a superb final restart. Saw him jump from third to almost the lead with Gabriele Mini uh, running second for much of the race and settling for third. Um, so yeah, whilst it wasn't a weekend that I think will go down in Macau memory, not not as much as say the race in uh, 2017, I think it was when um, Dan uh, Dan Tictum overtook two cars on the run to the line after um, I think it was Sergio Sete Camera and Ferdinand Habsburg crashed at the final corner. Uh, it, that was an amazing race. Or, or I'm you know, watch the highlights. Yeah, that that one I would recommend. Um, I'll, I'll send you the link to that one. It was really good. Uh, and, do. and it won't be as memorable as the massive pile up that you mentioned that it was in like 2016. Yeah, it, I couldn't believe that was 2016. It's been yeah, it's longer long than already. I thought. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, I was thinking like 2019, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't an amazing one for Macau, but it's still it, it for me. It's always an event that's kind of tinged with sadness because it means that we're at the end of the motorsport season. <laughs> Um, but it, it, I, I, nevertheless, yeah, as I said, it's a different kind of challenge. I, I, I don't know. I'm a fan. So if you're out there and you don't know about Macau, um, the races are free to watch on, on YouTube, on the FIA's YouTube account. So check them out, see what you think. Um, there's a really cool mod for it on Assetto Corsa. I know a lot of us are sim racers who listen to the show, so go give the track a try. It, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> so yeah, let, let, let us know what you think of Macau. Um, I think that does it for the race action for this week as we're as again rapidly approaching the end of the season and to the point where um we struggle to talk about things um let's I mean some might argue that we struggle to talk about things <laughs> even during the season true so. <laughs> um so in which case let's go on to the week's other motorsport news um continuing on from where me and John were talking last week about the various IMSA driver announcements, uh, we said at the end of that show that the following day, the IMSA uh, preliminary entry list for the Rolex 24 would be published. And it was. Um, 60 cars entered for the Rolex 24, the the maximum there can be. Uh, 10 GTP cars, 12 LMP2s, 13 gtd pros and 25 gtds um wow. th- it, it's a lot <laughs> it is a lot i well well i'll i'll let you do your thing i do have a question <laughs> about one person in particular well, well the, some of the highlights um to, to include uh, the gtp entries for example philip eng is no longer in at bmw and has been replaced by jesse crone uh, there is still a TBD on the driver roster of both BMWs. LMP2 is largely unfilled driver-wise as of yet. There, a lot of that's going to be confirmed in the coming weeks. But we do know that Zhao Barbosa is going to be moving up from LMP3s um, with um, uh, uh, in in the Sean Creech Motorsports car with Lance Wilsey, I believe. Um, other highlights include 
at Wayne Taylor Racing um, because the uh, endurance drivers for Daytona have been announced, and they are Jensen Button and Marcus Ericsson. Um, <laughs> holy shit, they've got a lineup. So Ericsson's going to be in the number 10 car alongside Ricky Taylor, Philippe Albuquerque, and Brendan Hartley. And yep. Jensen Button is going to be alongside Jordan Taylor, Louis Delatraz, and Colton Herter. Holy shit. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that Andretti money that Wayne Taylor have access to has gone hard. Like, I mean, in fairness, yeah. this is the same team that had Fernando Alonso a few years ago. So they, they have a habit for bringing in incredible Some guest names. drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that's going to be wild. That's going to be insane. I'm so I, excited. I wish to them see all the best. Do. Yeah. Um, other highlights include um, JDC Miller in the uh, customer Porsche. Uh, Richard Westbrook is going to be joining Timon van der Helm in the, in the number five with, uh, I'm trying to remember who they announced as their endurance driver. It was someone pretty cool. Uh, ben Keating. Bill Hansen and Ben Keating. Yeah, Ben Keating. It will become the first bronze rated, firstly, how is he a fucking bronze? Let's be honest. It's his age. <laughs> yeah. It's his age. It's 100%. In terms of his ability, he is not yeah, bronze. Yeah, no, 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 no. Not so at all. He will become the first bronze driver to race in GTP, and I'm extraordinarily excited for what that means going forward, whether we will see other teams employing bronze drivers where they can. Um, so here, here, and he's going to be question. he's going to be double heading it as well. He's going to be in an LMP2 yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, so he's going to be racing two cars in the same race. Yeah. Yeah. What a fucking guy. Yeah, he's done it before, I believe, in LMP2. Well, he's never driven top class. So, yeah, it was LMP2 and GTs. The idea of this man, like, I don't know how he does it, how you can jump from one car to another so seamlessly. I, I'd I mean, love our, to know our, how he does that. Our driver uh, at core, Luca Mars, did it during the Daytona weekend. Yeah, but that's during, like, he, yes, it's during the weekend, so it's equally as impressive, but during the same race. Like, yeah, during the same race is a bit tough. That's mad. That, that's a bit. That's a bit crazy. I love that. Yeah, but I mean, Luca would get out of our out of the core Mustang and then go hop in the JDC Miller uh, LMP3. Mm. You know, it's not exactly the same, but I mean, but doing still, it it's, the a, same it's day. a sign of adaptability. It's a, I I love yeah. drivers who are that adaptable, and yeah. that's just wild to me. Um, we also have news from uh, Paul Miller Racing. They announced that they are going to be step. Obviously, they won the GTD Championship with the number one BMW. They're going to be moving up to GTD Pro next year with their drivers uh, Brian Sellers, um, Madison Snow, and uh, Neil Verhagen. Uh, and I believe Sheldon Van der Linde is going to be joining them for the Rolex Twenty Four. So again, dear, oh, man, the Rolex grid looks good. Um, Trying to remember if there are any other big things that were announced. Um, I don't. I don't think so. No, I think we covered. Uh, so the problem is, last episode we spent a good twenty minutes just running through announcement after announcement. It it's been a wild week for IMSA news. So I think we've covered everything. If not, the IMSA entry list is out there. So go go and have a look. Um, it's wild. I'm so excited. It, it, I'm, I'm almost annoyed that they've announced all of this before the off-season has really started because now I'm just going to spend the next couple of months un incomprehensibly excited for the end of January to arrive and for Daytona to come back around. I can't wait. <laughs> 60 fucking cars. Uh, 
Holy and shit. I'm I'm like 85% sure I'm going to be there. You, you, you know? Well, I hope you are. I really do. I, I, I do too. I do too. Uh, Core, have me back. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. Heading across, uh, well, in on the other side of the convergence over to WEC, we had some driver news today, as a matter of fact, relating to your favorite person in the world, Greg. Look, he's not. <laughs> I... Okay, here's the thing. Nick DeVries is now a full season driver for Toyota, uh, replacing Jose Maria Lopez, who we will talk about in a moment. He will be driving the number seven car alongside Mike Conway and Kamui Kobayashi. Greg. Um, good, good job. Good for him. You know, uh, I look at, I don't know this guy personally. Okay. He may be a cool guy. I, <laughs> I don't he's know. Lovely. He, he could be, he could be, this is nothing against the character of this person. I just don't like his face. <laughs> just don't like his face. I just don't like his I, face. I love for this. No, for no reason. There's no reason. I just, you know what, kid? Oh. You may be cool. You may be cool. The, I, actually, he did do something that uh, that did put a bad taste in my mouth mm. when he was like, nah, I'm not a rookie oh, in Formula yeah. 1. And then immediately when somebody was like, hey, you got to give me some money because you started the season in 2022. He was like, uh, maybe I'm a rookie in Formula 1. <laughs> what, what I liked is that he was like, nah, I'm not a rookie. Don't call me a rookie. And then proceeded to drive like the most rookie rookie to have ever yeah. rookied. Like, yeah. But, yeah. but it's been yeah. interesting. Every, everything. Seeing, it's been interesting seeing the reaction today because a lot of people, and I'm not going to call them Drive to Survive fans, but they are Formula 1 fans that definitely started watching it after watching a Netflix series, um, Who's who only know Nick because of what he did in Formula 1 and are now being like, Oh, how did this guy get kicked out of a backmarker Formula One team and land up in one of the in the best seat in WEC? The guy he is, is a good. Formula E champion. The guy He's is a good. fucking driver, dude. Yeah, he is. He's a really, really good driver. There is a reason yeah. why he was given a chance in Formula One. But there are sometimes drivers that don't just gel with the opportunity that they're given in Formula One. I would like to draw attention to one of the people that he is sharing a car with, Kamui Kobayashi. You know, he is arguably, I would say, one of the best racing drivers in the world right now and of the last 10 years. And yet Definitely he did the best not in Japan. get, yeah, and he did not get anywhere near the opportunity that he should have gotten in Formula One. Other tr other drivers in, in, in Toyota, even Brendan Hartley, an incredible endurance driver, absolute dog shit in Formula One when he drove for Toro Rosso for about a year and a half. Sebastian Boemi never lived up to his potential when he raced for Toro Rosso. Another incredible driver albeit Scott a bit speed. of a twat and speaking of twat scott speed you know he's another one I mean, like. <laughs> yeah I, mean, <laughs> I i think scott i think scott speed's a cool guy yeah he, I, he was like cool him. until he intentionally yeah. wrecked people on iRacing. but other than that like that oh yeah he did do that but i mean <laughs> coolest hey, name in racing though that's apart from that's a um stingray dick role. trickle uh, I, oh fuck dick trickle shit yeah, we should do no, We can forget about Stingray Rob. Games. We we can forget about Stingray oh, until next year. Oh, now we're forgetting about Stingray Rob, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> but but look, the, the the point is, some drivers gel is, with certain stuff. He's yeah, good. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's ge he's genuinely a good driver, uh, and and deserves the seat. I hope he gets a championship. Uh, there's a strong chance he does, but also, I mean. We saw how some teams in WEC were able to challenge Toyota in their first year. The nature of BOP, 
they're only going to get closer. So I am excited for what the second yeah. year of it has in entail. Um, and there's there's a lot of new entries uh, as far as manufacturers loads. coming to to the WC. So I it's hard for me to draw a hard line and say I want this team to win the overall you know the the GTP or hypercar yeah. or whatever the fuck you want to call it championship. This this isn't um, anything personal. I just don't want Toyota to win it. You know they've been dominant for so long because they've had they're the Mercedes and Red Bull exactly. of WC. You know yeah. I've got nothing much against them, but I just like seeing unpredictability in new winners. So yeah, Forza Ferrari, I suppose. Um, yeah, De Vries is going to be doing this whilst also doing Formula E. He's returning to that with Mahindra Racing. Spoiler alert, he's going to do a lot better in WEC than he's going to do in Formula E because Mahindra are dog shite nowadays. So um, I look forward to that statement biting me in the ass when Mahindra win the championship with De Vries in a few months' time. Um, is that or is that not the same the, the Mahindra of the tractor variety? No, it's different. So Mahindra are like, a car like company. Andretti. Yeah, Mahindra are a car company in India um, who do electric vehicles. Um, uh, whereas Mahindra in America, as you say, are the tractor company that sponsor Stuart Haas Racing. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. But yes, uh, De Vries is going to Toyota to replace Jose Maria Lopez, who is leaving Toyota to be a part of the Acodis ASP Lexus LMGT3 effort in the World Endurance Championship. Uh, I guess Lopez was tired of crashing into the back markers, so he decided to become one of them. Um, if you can't beat him, join him. <laughs> um, no, I'll be interested to see how he gets on. He's another driver who is miraculously adaptable. He's driven all sorts over the years in line for Formula One with USGP, raced um, and uh, raced in Formula E, has done touring car racing, went up to prototypes, and is now into GT3s, which he has relatively little experience in. Um, so he raced a GT one. Yeah, he did. He did, uh, uh, back in the DBR nine days. So it's been a while at least, but yep. oh, I miss the DBR nine. What car? Um, but yeah, that's exciting for him. Um, I'll be excited to see how LMGT three gets on this year. I'm really excited to see how that changes the game. Um, speaking of Lexus, I forgot there was another bit of IMSA news that, <laughs> that came out literally as we were recording this show. Vassar Sullivan Lexus in their GTD car, not the GTD Pro, have have switched roles for their drivers. Um, Frank, Frankie Montecalvo and Parker Thompson will be their full season drivers, with Parker Thompson moving, having previously been the endurance driver. Um, and Aaron Tielitz, who was the full season driver, will now be the endurance driver. Little <laughs> musical chairs. Little, little strange. I wish they would have done that with the other lineup, but uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep that uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, um, um, <laughs> <laughs> I've not got much else to say about that. Kind of yep. just wanted to say that bit. Um, Formula One news. Oh fuck! I thought we were done, and this is only going to anger me as well. So we've got to limit ourselves to a couple of minutes to this. General Motors in the ongoing saga of Andretti trying to join Formula One, uh, one of the criticisms that the teams were saying is, oh, we need a, ma a power unit manufacturer commitment now because the goalposts keep changing. Well, General Motors have turned around and said, yeah, okay, we'll do that. From 2028, yeah, we we'll register as an F1 power unit manufacturer. Oh, okay. What did the team say? Oh, well, in Las Vegas, multiple teams said that they were still unsure whether they wanted another team right now. <laughs> you know, guys... 
<laughs> like, just say if I'd have much more respect if they came out and said we're greedy bastards and we yeah, don't just want stop anyone asking them. Like, just yeah, yeah. Ugh. You don't need to ask them. We already know what the answer is. We know nobody it, wants them. They, we could we could get to round one and have a Cadillac sitting on the grid. And Toto and Horner will still be over there like, I don't think we should have another team yeah. on the grid. Toto Wolf said of the news that uh, GM has registered, he said, GM is one of the big players, no doubt. And I guess if they say they want to join the sport in 28, they're serious about it and it's a good commitment. But, you know, we need to see whether the commercial rights holder deems this to be a good entry or not. What is there to question at this point? Andretti Global autosport one of the best racing outfits in the world not just in america in the world general fucking motors one of the biggest manufacturers in the automotive world why why that you can't question their eligibility anymore it's just yeah. they are worthy it's just mm -hmm. greed yep it's just greed and if i talk about formula one any longer i'm going to have a coronary so let's end the show on some good and unexpected news that somehow related to Formula One. You know, this kind of came out of left field. I, I did was not, not seeing this, this coming whatsoever. No, and I'm so happy. Williams Racing, F1 Academy. You may remember a couple of episodes ago when we spoke about F1 Academy. For next year, every F1 team will nominate one driver from the grid as their supported driver. They will run their livery, but more importantly, they will mostly be development drivers and will receive backing from the Formula 1 team. It's a good link between the F1 teams and the F1 Academy. We've already had Bianca Bustamante announced as McLaren's represented driver, and she has been announced as a, driver, a development driver for the team in an official capacity. Williams have announced that they will be supporting Leah Block, Ken Block's daughter. Yeah. That f I mean, for a start. Don't cry now. I might cry. <laughs> for a start. <laughs> holy shit, that's awesome. Secondly, she fucking deserves it. She can fucking wheel. She's one of the yeah. youngest uh, drivers to, to win in certain rallies in, in the American Rally Association. Um, she's she's uh, been driving in nitro cross and has been on the podium in that virtually first time of asking she jumped in extreme e and did extraordinarily well against some of the world's greatest off-road drivers apparently she, she she's been karting since she was 11 she's been testing open wheel cars over the last couple of years hence where this interest from williams came from and apparently she's very very good <laughs> who would have thought that the uh, daughter of Ken Block has incredible driving talent? Interestingly, Derek Warwick, uh, no, it's not Derek, not Derek Warwick, different Derek, Derek Dornsey, um, who has been long working with the Block family, for, uh, has said that in terms of driving style, she's not like her dad at all and is very anti-Ken, um, but <laughs> still extremely talented and with with the backing of williams and with the opportunity to go racing in f1 academy i'm really excited to see what she does that's such a cool yeah. story that's a good get that's really really cool i'm i'm so excited for her i think it's really really cool um, and not not only good for her but it's a good get for williams right oh like, yeah like the the publicity that she brings oh yeah like it's, it's which it's let's killer. face it yeah 
let's face it it's got to be a part of it yeah of right? course it's racing this of is, this it is. Is a, you gotta yeah you gotta feed the machine right yeah. uh and she's gonna bring the most food yeah well not the most but you know what i'm saying yeah. like she she will bring a lot of attention to williams uh because of this so yeah good good relationship for the both of them yeah and and you know I, I i'm aware of many people will say and i have also said in the past of drivers who get into situations because of their name i don't like it unless they can back it up and i am quite confident that leah is going to be able to is it going to be able to back up her name and the the, the recognition with talent she's proven herself to be extra extraordinarily adaptable and fast learning and like I said, with the preparation she's going to have and with the support from Williams, I'm, I'm just super excited for her. This is really, really cool. It's nice to have a positive Formula One related story, isn't it? It's nice to end the show on a positive. I know. It's been a while since we have. Uh, and and <laughs> yeah. an extraordinarily negative show, to be honest, can talking about Vegas. Yeah. But it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but that will do it for this week's episode of the Into the Paddock podcast. Like we said about Vegas or about anything tonight, if you, you've you got uh, strong opinions on um, the stories we spoke about or what we think about it, then be sure to let us know um, at our various social media channels at Into the Paddock with the number two on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. And you can also, if you go over to intotheapex.com, you can join the Discord for the Mad Sim Racing uh, group where you can talk to us there if you like as well and, yeah. and join the conversation or- there. Just fucking fight me. Or just, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's F- legal fight, where fight I am. Us. Yeah, not me, yeah. but mutual yeah, go, go Mutual Texas. combat. Let's f- fucking, let's fucking dance, Put up boy. your dick beaters. Um, let's dance. Let's dance. Um, Greg, <laughs> if people do want to fight you, where can they, uh, where can they message you to arrange it? Uh, Speed Rat Racing. Hit me up at Speed Rat Racing. Uh, pretty much everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube, Facebook name it i'm there i'm not on threads that's no nobody but, really is to be honest i'm just kind of yeah, hoping it becomes yeah. a thing right uh <laughs> but definitely come hang out on twitch especially on tuesdays where we race in the operation motorsport uh esport league uh i'm in the pro class racing against matthew smotherman and tiger you met for the championship right now and they are fucking fast but i think i'm faster at sebring which happens tomorrow at uh i think my stream will go live around 6 30 uh p.m that's central time the best time uh so yeah hit me up there speed rat racing look for me fight me or uh, actually don't i don't want to fight anybody <laughs> i really don't i i'm i'm just yeah cool <laughs> clear as mud uh, i don't want to fight anyone either and you can follow me at jgroves1996 on uh twitter instagram and threads as well um that's it for this week's episode. Join us next week as we're going to talk about the finale of the Formula One World Championship. Thank fuck. As well as probably the Supercars finale. We don't have much else to talk about and they're racing at Adelaide and that's always fucking cool. I love that. So yeah, all right. We'll talk, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Definitely. Because yeah. Adelaide's going to be much better than Abu Dhabi. In the meantime, yeah. enjoy those races. Enjoy the rest of your week and join us next time on the Into the Paddock podcast. Bada-da! listening to Into the Paddock by the ITA Podcast Network. Join us next time for more provocative motorsport talk.